This podcast is not meant to be informative or educational and has the potential to be completely irrelevant. This is Property Jam. Welcome to this episode of Property Jam, the podcast where we talk about everything on the human side of property. And today, well, we're one down, but we're also one up because we're missing Mr. Baker. But as Niall and I always say, he holds us back. So actually, (laughs) we've got free reign today. I'm joking. We miss you, Matt. We wish you were here. But to stand in almost for Mr. Baker, we've got the wonderful Max Scott in the house. So I'm going to hand over to you, Max, to tell our listeners who you are, what you do, how you got involved in property, and yeah, how you've ended up on Property Jam. Very good. Uh, hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Max Scott. So I've been, I'll probably start at the beginning and that will, my story will evolve from there. So I've been in property for 10 years. Before that, I started working for a professional gambler, which is how I met um the star group and i then worked for them for for 10 years so we we set up star property together um we had quite a slow journey to begin with the company was quite small it was making a very small amount of money and we would do a purchase every year or two or and i definitely had shiny penny syndrome i was attracted to all the different strategies that were available looked into all of them and it probably held me back for the first sort of four years or so i was in property and then what happened is the company grew, started making more and more money, its profile raised, et cetera. And it just meant that me having learned and looked into and wanted to do all of these different things, I could suddenly go bang, 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 bang. So we were looking for HMOs at the time. Uh, and then this block of flats came up and I thought it was in Hove Auction and it was over in Kent. That's <laughs> something that seems really odd. So why, why would you do that? And I looked up what I thought the values were and I thought, God, this is amazing breakup value and I was nervous it's my first auction and I think I bid nearly 100 grand over the guide and was just so nervous and I still get nerves in the in the auction room and it turned out to just be the most fantastic purchase tempted on day one title split huge uplift on value not as easy as all the brokers that had written in YPN told you it was easy to refinance afterwards <laughs> yeah. so we learned some challenges there and, and then kind of you know that that was the start of us really really kicking on and then we went on to do commercial to residential conversions we had a small business in Ireland which then turned into quite a big business so I went over there to see what we could do and was so lucky with who I met really early on in a three-day trip, I met some really key players in Ireland who told me what they knew and what they would do if they were me. And I told them what we look for typically. And we we came up with some strategies. And now the Irish portfolio forms nearly, nearly half of, of what we do. And then we realized that we were scaling really quickly and we would need all these resources. And so we started a construction company. We started a law firm, which then turned evolved. And we bought a small regulated practice started an insurance company because that was quite nice and easy that was an easy easy fit and kind of really really went from from there and then took the company portfolio value to about 100 million and then about a year after having a daughter my time I used to work (laughs) really quite hard and you know didn't really have a have an off switch and I'd wake up in the morning and just go straight into work 
And then suddenly that's not possible anymore. And you realize that your time <laughs> is really restricted and uh, your priorities sort of like turn on the uh, head. So I had a, a decade of hard work preparing for, for that moment. And um, that's when I decided that deals was what I loved doing. That was the hardest thing for me to hire someone else to do. And that I just couldn't run the star group and do deals we had to probably treble our deal target to about 40 million this year was was our goal at the beginning of the year and so the only way I could do that was by removing myself from the noise of the business I now deal with the tip of the iceberg find the deals package the opportunities star execute them and then I do it for a couple of other clients in addition to star as well and that's brought brought loads of balance back into my life and enabled me to focus on what what I love doing and here we are. And I met Niall and Matt at the awards night and both of us were successful in our awards, which was, which was nice. Which was very good. Yeah. That's right. That's when I first saw you. Yeah. <clears throat> oh. So what do you want to, for, for our listeners, what was your award that you won? As uh, so a property investor of the year. I was I mean, that's no commercial small awards. Con- I mean, I that's, that's no small award, is it? That's pretty decent. It's got a good title, doesn't yeah. it? It does. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it's all, it's very impressive. Like listening to everything that you've created and everything you've done, I can't help but think, but I can't imagine how you, even before your child was born or your daughter was born, like how do you find enough hours in the day to, to do all of that? Because there's a lot, a lot of moving parts from insurance companies to the developments to overseas investments and everything. It must be like a, a bit of a, a minefield. Oh, absolutely. And some of those things, you know, Ireland's the main overseas place we invest, but we've also bought in uh, Tel Aviv, the Isle of Man, Montenegro, and some of those places we we thought Montenegro would be great. And just to get anything done there is almost impossible. And it's sucked up a disproportionate amount of time to do one small development. We probably could have done 10 over here in that time frame. So not everything's a a success story not everything is easy as it sounds but certain things particularly with the business side of things the the rough model was find someone who is a key person doing what you needed them to do save money by bringing them in-house because mm-hmm. we were doing enough volume of work and incentivize them long term and they already had a track record so that was the theory again we had to kiss a few frogs to find our witnesses, but you know that that's kind of how how that side of things evolved. And really, that was much harder work than it needed to be to do all of that. But I'm a long term thinker, and it's really about making the next decade easier. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. I, and I can't imagine scaling how we plan to now without all of those teams. And I think we'd suddenly be hitting a bit of a brick wall in terms of capacity, and that just gives us this opportunity to kind of really keep going and kick on yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. was struck by a couple of things that you said like the, well the first one was like yeah we were just doing this and then we just set up an insurance company because that's quite easy to do and it made sense I'm like who who does that like who, <laughs> like who just sets up an insurance company? yeah well that, that's I don't cool. think that would ever occur to me to do that. no well it was it was off the back of a call from from our broker and I, I won't give too much of the story but we, we had a good trusting long-term friendship with him and his family right. and his family practice had been bought he then basically got screwed over by the people that bought his company and said look I'm looking at setting up on my own and we'd just given away our insurance to his old company but basically we worked out that the premium that we pay would cover sort of two-thirds of the running expenses of the business for the first year 
Mm. So it made it quite easy. And then it's the same with a few different areas of business. You can get seriously highly regulated where you, you do stuff yourself. So like your own mortgage broking, or you can take it down a notch. You give away a small percentage and you go through someone else's system and PI insurance and everything like that. And then you kind of get, you're, you're a bit of a blend between an introducer and doing stuff yourself. Yeah. And it kind of took a lot of the, red tape and other noise out of the business um mm -hmm. so that's what i mean by it was fairly easy to set up yeah we had a key person he had relationships we have relationships with people and the business was de-risked by the fact that our premiums alone were quite substantial yeah that makes complete sense i mean yeah it does make sense when you when you think about it with just uh yeah it's 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 very impressive very impressive everything you've built up yeah but also I think the other thing that struck me was just the whole having a baby thing, which is where I find myself. I mean, I'm due in three months time. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Well, first baby. First, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, completely. <laughs> I, I think it's a question I had with you is like finding that balance. Because obviously what you've had to do is like reprioritize completely in order yeah. to focus on the things where your talent lies, but also then leverage the expertise of those around you. I mean, how... How is, did you have to kind of have the baby to realize that you needed to do that? Or did you start putting thought in ahead of time, knowing that you probably would? Uh, to be honest, it was far more that by luck than by judgment. Um, okay. I did actually say if she was born six months early, I would be fucked. Uh, <laughs> I never, ever would have been able to to do it and as it was I, th I think we, we also do um have a deal with our mortgage broker and stuff like that so uh, it's in between us having a business ag again and we did so she was born in December and we did so many mortgages in December our commissions on our kickback on our own ones for 30 grand in January the paperwork that was going through bang 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 and I think I worked really hard up until the Friday Sunday waters broke and oh my god Christmas so like luckily everything kind of winds down for Christmas we kind of done well in spending our money and sorting out the remortgages that we needed to sort etc we had a couple of deals that everyone knew what to do with and it was just kind of like okay you can have six weeks two months off now did that mm -hmm. right and then as I came back I started to realize that this is a bit harder much harder than than I thought. So, I imagine your podcasting schedule in month four is from now is <laughs> nice and clear. We've got a plan, haven't we, Niall? Yeah. We do have a plan. Yes, <laughs> don't normally have a plan, but we do have a plan this time. We yeah, have to have a plan because Matt's had a couple of kids the whole time we've been, you know, doing property jam, and uh, it's it different, you know, biologically, completely different set of uh, situations. Oh, 100%. So yeah, um, so yeah, we've decided that we're gonna just switch up the property jam format a little bit, but then of course you've got all of the other stuff that you know you do as an individual around that. You've got your property stuff, you know, you've got your the various other businesses that you have, and it's just such a massive adjustment. And one of the problems is that you start all of these things based on your capacity at the time mm. and sometimes once you start something it's quite hard to stop it you kind of the wheels are in motion so there's only so much you can just say right that's it now I'm, mm -hmm. I'm walk away for a bit and I think that was something that like the timing was quite lucky with me as in which she was born at a time that suited the business and six months earlier really would have been uh one of us would have broken I think so um you, you've got to try and plan around these things with as much uh Fourth sight as possible. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, that's where my head's at at the moment. So it's very, very <laughs> useful <laughs> to hear. <laughs> oh, amazing. So question we ask all of our uh, guests on the podcast, and that is, what does the human side of property mean to you? I think that's a really good question. And I was trying to break it down and just think about what it meant. And I stumbled across a few different things which came in very different categories and were completely mm-hmm. different answers. So if I go through those, I think that'd be, be quite interesting. And one of, so the first two points I'll make, I'll, I'll talk about the first one, my core values. One of them is growth. I think it's innately in our nature as humans to continually evolve. And people are generally happy if they move into a bigger house or get a nicer car and really struggle going the other way around and moving moving backwards and I think provided I realize a slight caveat you manage to get through times of huge uncertainty or challenge like we're in now other than that if you don't spend what you're making from your property portfolio on a passive level or for a period of time you should always be moving forward especially if you combine a business and property or a salary and property one of the reasons I got addicted to property was realizing that if I bought one buy to let property and paid off the mortgage by the time I retired, I would be in an amazing position compared to loads of people. Yeah. Expectations have, have since increased, but I think property is one of those uh, amazing businesses to be in where there is endless amounts you can learn. You can never master property, certainly not to any full degree in lots of different arenas and, and levels there's there's so much to do and I think it really enables continual growth and that for me is is quite an important human uh innately built into us as, as humans uh, another sort of core value is is impact and I think property enables you to have impact it enables you to spend money where you want to uh charity direct debits or whatever it is it just I think there are people that become wealthy from property and it enables you to be be generous but also as property investors some people say that you're taking homes away from people or whatever whereas that's just not what we do or certainly not what I do and generally speaking I would say that we increase the volume of stock and the quality of stock nearly everything you do you refurbish before once you bought it and then a lot of the conversions from commercial property or you're just taking somewhere which is currently derelict unused and, t- and breathing life into it and I think mm. that's a really enjoyable process as well as sort of a feel-good factor of having having impact and, and seeing everything come together and then and then the the last point sort of more selfishly is it's it's an enabler so if I'd ha- earn decent money in a normal job and I'm commuting to London and I had the baby that would have completely changed what my options now were it could, you know it would eliminate the possibility of going away or long term or reducing your hours at some point etc so that, that again that passive income just gives you gives me mornings with my daughter it enables me to take my families on holiday and uh paying for the things and uh, and and that sort of thing so um and I think that's why I fell in love with property and I found it easy to study and learn is because I could see what it could enable my life to look like and what I could do for do for others so wow so growth impact and enabling it's big big topics there do you know again I always get so surprised I think oh there's no way a guest could come up with some like other answers that are unique. And that, that actually is, isn't it? No, I 100%. Never... Yeah. 
Yeah, no one's ever said those before, summarized it quite in the way that you have. So, but you're what you've described and how you've described it is very in line with how we operate, um, both myself, Matt, and and Joe as well. You know, it's it's, and we we always get bad reputations as being landlords or developers, uh, and I completely agree when you said about how we are actually improving the stock of property in the market. And we were actually ended up at um, a planning committee meeting last week uh, for an application that we've had processing for longer than I care to remember. Um, and listening to the applications that were going in before us and the comments from the locals that turned up to object to various different applications, yeah. that is always a running theme. That as HMO landlords or property developers were taking away family homes from the community uh, and preventing young people from getting on the ladder themselves. And it, it always really pisses me off because it's like we're <laughs> we're in, in one particular example, like we're we've, we're creating a 13 bed for 13 working professionals. So we can put 13 people in there in a really nice space. It's not cramming everybody in as as some people would assume. But that's 13 people in one property. If, if, with that, if that were a family home, you'd have three or four people in there. So where does everyone else move to? Where do they go to live? So it's just people just don't think about the bigger picture and the, the actual impact and how severely uh, handicapped we are with the housing uh, market that we're in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then also, like, there's this whole kind of, oh, you know, no one can afford to buy anymore. And, you know, it's like, but that's not our fault. It's it's not it's not something that landlords have created. I mean, is that a demand that we come in and service as suppliers? For sure. Mm. But there is a huge housing supply issue in this country that just cannot meet the the, the needs of people. And so yeah. therefore it's an unsustainable um, you know, home ownership is just becoming a pipe dream for so many because demand is so high and supply is so small. So you know mm -hmm. that business model is where we come in and we actually can provide good housing for people not so not to kind of cause the problem or you know exacerbate the problem but to actually contribute to helping you know provide a solution in a time where it's just so hard for people to own their own space absolutely the government set a target of, i think it was three hundred thousand new homes a year it's been yeah. a long-term target i think they scrapped it this they year scrapped it. So, yeah because they were falling short of it i think the closest they ever got was 150 other than that it's way below that level but if you want to solve the housing crisis grant planning applications take the decisions away from the councils in that area they shouldn't be allowed to decide because they don't want things in their backyard or that they get pressure it should be yes or no and also why are you taxing developers community infrastructure levy section 106 when they pay corporation tax surely if you need something done you incentivize people to go into that space not not put them off you know charge amazon and google and facebook a higher level of vat or something and then mm -hmm. you can solve all of these problems but they're they're too powerful so they have to come after you know easier easier fish to fry yeah, yeah. so lowest lowest hanging fruits were the easiest targets yeah we are every single time mm. and you do you just get tired with such a brush don't you it's really yeah and then you sort of feel like you need to kind of defend yourself or kind of like you know speak out on behalf of landlords and developers and uh, half the time I just think the proof is in the pudding just provide good housing and do what you do um, yeah. yeah no it's so cool really love those answers um particularly around growth I don't think anyone's ever said that before no I don't think so 
Yeah, that was quite cool. Yeah, really cool. I mean, the enabling thing, sure. Lifestyle, freedom, choice. Yeah, for definitely. Impact, yeah, we've touched upon that. But the growth side of things, which I suppose straddles personal and professional, right? Because you grow as a human as well as you do a business. So yeah, and you're, what you're doing in property, you know, how many people do buy-to-lets and just stay there? Yeah. You yeah. know, they, they evolve, they look for something new, some, some challenging. And if you really are ambitious, you can take being in property to mean anything and go go anywhere with it and you if you play your cards right it's what you want you should only move forward yeah and when you started max like did you i mean did you sort of see yourself scaling up to the level that you have or was it something that just sort of happened organically i think there's always been a large underlying sense of uh, ambition and of trying to do something I'm not sure where it's come from or what 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 drives that but I think fulfilling your potential is something I I, I do believe in I'll be honest and once you hit year three of being in property and you haven't achieved much it's starting to feel really tough and I think it's actually where a lot of people then drop off and my experience of speaking to other people is that things just take time and then they click into place and you work that out and then once that happens you're off and I think really it took I mean we've had some tough years but it took a really good year to imagine what's possible and then you bring in all of these ambitious goals but it does take a little bit of that tasting it to see what what can happen yeah yeah once you can see what the potential is then when you've cross that boundary then you've got a better sense of how far you can push it yeah yeah when it stops feeling like you're pushing boulders uphill <laughs> although i think there's 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 still a lot of boulders being pushed up hills every day <laughs> yeah well, that's one of the challenges and one of the reasons i think i, I historically and probably continue to do so to take on so much is that agreeing a deal is not pushing a boulder up a hill that's really enjoyable it's more like getting a hot air balloon ride yeah and you basically committed to then pushing loads of boulders up a hill and you're like i forgot how to do all of this (laughs) yeah like there's more to this and now i've got to have to do something with it (laughs) i know when you're on that 17th set of papers you're like oh my god how much bureaucracy is there Uh, in this industry i forgot buying a property meant i had to deal with mortgage uh lenders yeah solicitors, you name yeah, it like yeah. the whole thing right like oh god and everything feels like it's at some point says this is going to go wrong or this is going to fail yeah. yeah you've got all of that time where you're dragging through those challenges if you've got multiple deals going through you, you it's, how rare is it that you do something especially if you don't do simple things like a straightforward buy to let strategy where you think this is going to go wrong that's going to go wrong this could go wrong it's just all the time yeah. And it's it's accepting that that's where you are and that trying and embracing the challenge is something that's not always easy, but is is a hugely important thing if you're in property. Yeah, you're completely right. And it, it, do, it doesn't just stop even when you've completed the development, because if you're holding on to it and renting it, you know, you've still got the trials and tribulations that then comes with renting it and maintaining it and, you know, keeping the thing standing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's it's ongoing but then this is where the people come in yeah like having the right people around you so those problems feel manageable and they're not just sitting on your shoulders you know although you're ultimately responsible it's um mm. yeah 
No, it's great. I, I love that answer. Oh, that was brilliant. So, all right, should we turn the tables? Have you come prepared for a question? Actually, I know you haven't. I know you haven't prepared a question. But have, you, <laughs> have you thought of one whilst we've been talking and you're like treading like water? Just, she's just threw you straight under the bus. Totally there. threw you under the bus. Like, you yeah. the show ropes clearly enough, did clearly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, luckily, I've thought of one. I think really, I'd like to know where your uh, passion for property came from, and uh, yeah. So, what what got you interested? I could tell you what first got me really hooked and what continues to do so but so so that's that question for you no uh yeah mine was quite easy actually um and I think I've mentioned it here on the podcast before is that I was an awful employee <laughs> I consider myself to be very unemployable uh and I jumped around from different jobs um never really had anything that I sunk my teeth into and loved that I would want to do on a long-term basis uh, but one of my one of the jobs that I liked the most, um, but I didn't like the um, unsociable hours that went with it, was working in a pub. Um, it was actually in Hove, and uh, one of my friends, uh, she was about eighteen at the time. Her and her mum had just started getting into property, um, and it kind of planted that seed for me quite early on. That you know, she's an eighteen-year-old, barely had a credit card or any um, any credit history. And she was buying properties and renovating them and renting them out. I was like, okay, how did she do that? So then I started kind of like following what they were doing a little bit. It still took me quite a few years to actually take the plunge myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I was I ended up working um, as an insurance complaint handler. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. It uh, literally pushed me over the edge. It was, the, it was the most boring job. <laughs> it was... It was well paid, but it was very boring. And I worked within financial services, so I worked for the banks and uh, financial ombudsman services. Again, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape, a lot of um, repeat work. So you'd be, giving a, you'd be given a task to do. And we knew from day one that it was the most ridiculous thing to do. And six weeks later, or maybe even six months later, once you'd completed that task, they were like, actually, we shouldn't have done it like that. So you have to go back to the beginning and start all over again. And I just got so fed up with it. Um, So that's when I uh, really started looking into property and uh, found a training course and just met Matt on the training course and just took off from there, really. Very good. So that's your reason for not wanting to be outside of property, I suppose, and how you got into it. Was there also then a pull of once you sat down at that training course of that one thing that you learned which you thought wow I'm definitely in the right place here I think it was kind of like how you mentioned earlier uh, was the ability to uh, continually evolve we were we started off on the training course that we did was teaching you the basics from day one how to buy a very basic buy to let but then they had a the system if you like that went from the little buy to let right up to doing a, a development project or whatever it might be. And I think when I could see that that was a potential on the road, that I didn't have to just do buy to lets, that I could create income from various different streams. And that meant I didn't have to work for anybody else. That's what drew me into it was just that sense of freedom, uh, financial freedom, financial security. Um, if I need more money, I'll buy another house and create more income from the rent. You know that that was the the draw to me, or for me, yeah. Very good. Mm. Yep. 
Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, it's a, p- a pleasure pain thing. It's like the pain you're moving away from and then the lure and pleasure of property, right? So mm. the pain side for me is quite similar to Niall. On the career side, like I'd worked in the university sector for years and years and years. And, oh, man, I don't know. I just did not have job satisfaction and I wasn't paid a huge amount either. And, you know, when you just know there's something more to life, like you could. And I didn't know what that thing was that would unlock my time to kind of pursue and fulfill my potential. Right. So I just I had a real faith and a real kind of almost spiritual inkling there was something bigger and better out there for me but working nine to five in university as a project manager was like killing my soul yeah and uh, <laughs> and I just thought there's got to be more to it and I was getting bullied at work and I just oh yeah it was bad I was on performance review I just I had that was the pain of getting away from it so it was seeking out opportunity and then um the problems around my life at the time which were parents who weren't well off in their older years a disabled brother who was still under the roof of my parents and they were his primary carers not the healthiest of situations but kind of wanting to spur him to go on into some sort of full-time care um, and have the time and money to be around to support and facilitate that process there were so many big reasons to make a change but I was bloody terrified and then similar to Niall saw an advert you know it was in the metro newspaper and like went along and sorry I should also say in the lead up to that my ex-partner had also had a brain hemorrhage so we had this life perspective about life could be taken away from you at any given moment right so I kind of had all of these reasons to make a change and went into that classroom and what was pain and what I was moving away from was suddenly pleasure because I saw and this is the same word I always use it was a p word that was just coming at me when I went to that course was possibility because I realized what was possible in property. I realized that, you know, you can make money. Well, that solves my parents' financial situation. I, real, I, I realized that it, it kind of gives you profit for you. So that mm. kind of, that sorted my whole issue with being an employee and, you know, all the constraints I felt around that. And, it, but it also, like the potential to kind of do something different, to have time to start building up my own businesses, to kind of explore parts of my my own potential and my own creativity that I'd never done before um, and just meet different people with different levels of life expectation to what I'd been used to to kind of push me beyond that glass ceiling of what had been set by like most of my high school mates um, and then that got really exciting and I think the catalyst for change is when I got introduced into a network and I saw the power of all them people doing all of those incredible things and yeah what that meant and now I've got a podcast and now I've got a speaking business and all the p's public speaking podcasting you know, like, <laughs> pregnant, pregnant. <laughs> I'm just nailing the p's but I think all of that was you know facilitated by the realization of of, of um of what property can do for you the possibility of it and it and if I always say this I'm not a big fan of property I mean, bricks and mortar does not excite me, Max. It's like, I don't walk on site and go, oh, this is, oh, you know, I love I love the refurb element of a project, but I don't, oh, the first bit, the buying it, the finding the deals, the bit that sounds like you love, 
Yeah. Mate, I could sack it off like in a heartbeat. Ah, the, mortgages, ah. the lining it up, the getting the angels in place, the, you know, all the rest of it. Honestly, I love the, I like the angel finance bit, but it's just the paperwork and all the bullshit. As soon as you've completed keys in hand and you go to site and you start doing the refurb, I come alive. I love that bit right through to Enval. And I, I, that just gives me life. But honestly, it's not why I'm on this planet, Max. No, I don't, I'm, I'm not a fan of the refurb bit. That's something for me. It's just like, it's nice to see when it's done, but I kind of like switch off when that happens. I find right. it hard to yeah, follow yeah. the conversations when everyone's talking about it. I've got to sort of pretend that I know what everyone's talking about during those bits, but all of the other bit, the packaging, the deal, the finding it, the making it work, slicing and dicing and pulling it all together again is kind of that. That's the bit that, that I really just enjoy. Feels it. Yeah, mm. it's funny, isn't it? And I love that the I don't you just love a property you can pick and choose the bit you like and then delegate the rest. That's so cool. Well, I, I think the art of property is being a good middleman, really. Yeah. You should employ, you know, solicitors and everything that everyone should know more than you do. You're yes. coordinating it and so for coming up with the idea and coordinating everyone and making it happen, that's where you get get paid the most. It's like being yeah. the conductor of an orchestra, isn't it? Like got all these yeah, different exactly. instruments, all these different moving parts, and it's like your job to keep the tune singing, teach the the, the exactly. music flowing, you challenge like, everyone, yeah. and make sure they're on the, you know, yeah. at the right things. And uh, but but it's part part of the fun. I mean, it's yeah. fucking annoying because you're constantly having to like, you know, <laughs> oh, hey, trumpets, trumpets, <laughs> <laughs> strings. <laughs> you had a lot longer whip. This something. is why you're not a conductor. Just yeah. just throwing that out there. <laughs> I'd be abusing my orchestra. It feels like it was interesting timing with, with all of us, really. And there's that saying, which is when the student is ready, the master shall appear. And it was kind yes. of like, oh, we're kind of like, you just see that one hour seminar, whatever, they show you the possibilities. You're like, this is the right time. And yeah. you know, it sounds like we all went all in at that at that moment when we had that, that chance to. And I always yeah, say that. Don't you, don't you agree with this now? It's like with property, like it's never about how much money you have. It's never about how much time you have. It's about your readiness to take on the commitment to make a change because mm. something has to be so critical in your life to make that change. That motivation has to be so strong enough that actually money and time become obsolete, you know, because that drive is so strong mm -hmm. um, and it's a readiness it's just a readiness to get into it and if you're not ready you ain't gonna do it you know yeah um, yeah definitely I don't think even a year or two years before I got into it I wasn't in the right nah. mind space to be able, even able to take it on um because I think the, the confidence that you gain as you go through this process it's like the person I was when I started in comparison to where I'm at today confidence levels have just gone uh, off the chart in comparison to where where I started from there's still a shitload to learn <laughs> there's still a hell of a lot I don't know um but and I feel more empowered and in a position that like you said Max if I don't know the answer then I know someone that knows someone that knows the answer how to approach it and it, and it does feel like you talked about sort of the personal development side of things that people I know who are in other industries it's not the norm whereas in property I guarantee nearly everyone at a networking event has read eight of the same books or something like that. Do you know <laughs> yes, what I mean? It's like that core <clears throat> thing that everyone is 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 into it to an extent, and I think that really helps you be a part of a community which is of, of like-minded people and that you can can evolve with. Yeah, 
yeah, exactly. There's no point in having a very well educated bookshelf if you don't do anything with it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can you can learn it, you can read it, you can absorb it. But if you sit, sit on your ass and don't do anything with it, then it's completely pointless. Yeah. Then the, the opposite of that is also true. It's the ones who just think, oh, fuck it. I don't need to know what I'm doing. I should go out there to have a crack, give it a punt, see how it goes. Right. And they're often the ones who are kind of, I mean, they're a bit maverick. Maybe they will make a success, but chances are they'll fuck it up, lose their confidence, lose money or worse. Um, and so you need that balance of both. Right. You've got to kind of have a little bit of knowledge behind you, but you've also got to then bloody do something with it. Otherwise yes, exactly. You need to be yeah. someone that takes action as well as uh, realizing that you it can go wrong. And I think that's really important is that you know it's, it's gone wrong plenty of times. We talk about <laughs> yeah. how often it really goes wrong. It does go wrong as well. And I think people are much better at sharing their successes than sharing their failures. And so this can be, you know, for the new people in property that haven't had those honest conversations from more experienced people where it goes wrong, they think everyone's amazing at this. Yeah. And it's not true. <laughs> It's so not true. I mean, even even really experienced developers and investors, you know, been doing it for years, still have mistakes or unforeseen or, you know, external factors that, you know, really affect their business. And it's yeah. how you weather those storms and um, and kind of bounce back or pivot or adjust or, you know. Yeah, because the next deal will be easier because there won't be any problems, right? We've dealt oh, with them all now. Yeah. So that, that's it. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> But it wasn't meant to be simple, was it? If it was easy, everyone would do it. That's well, the, it. the harder <laughs> the challenges you face, the bigger the reward is normally. So yeah, and yeah, yeah. And, and the more and the more and the more you grow, actually. Yeah, yeah I think you do. You, and then the next time you're like, ah, been through all this before. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you, you learn, don't you? How to be resilient. You just yeah. you do. Yeah. And I think you kind of. I, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of forget it quite quickly as well. Because when yeah. you, at different stages of the process, obviously, you look up with different challenges. But once you've purchased the property, if you've had a pain in the ass planning application or a very long, drawn out purchase process, by the time you've got it over the line and then you're on to the next phase, you kind of forget what happened before and you move on and you yeah. don't remember or think about it, it until. To what I hear that women go through in pregnancy, that hormones released. <laughs> <laughs> and you forget the pain you went through and you're up for baby number two as soon as they sleep through the night honestly do you know I was thinking exactly the same thing I just had the same <laughs> analogy going on in my brain I was just like I, I watched a, a couple of episodes of like one born every minute and you know like why I'm doing this to myself I don't know because you see these women like in absolute agony screaming as their body is ripped apart and then they're just like within six months later they do the follow-up you know sort of like little screening and the baby's just sat there cooing they're like oh yeah no I do it again I'm like did you myself on screen you're just like losing your mind so yeah it's, it's the same thing <laughs> <laughs> love it let's do a wee bit of roulette okay so basically max and for all our new listeners out there um i'm going to scroll through previous episodes of property jam um you can shout stop at any point and then give us your view your opinion on that particular topic so I oh, got uh, a surge of excitement then. I don't know why. I was like, oh, what's coming? <laughs> it's not calm down. It's not that. It's not that. Okay. Good. I won't go into labor. Don't go into labor. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. I am scrolling. Stop. 
Well, he let that one go, didn't he? Look at that. I almost forgot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is episode 152. Are you worthy of investment? What did we talk about then? Oh, I know. We were talking about where people who struggle with um, self-belief and self-worth when it comes to property. So um, almost feeling like, I don't know. Like imp imposter syndrome? Exactly that. <clears throat> Have you ever had that or has you got any views on that Matt? yeah i think i think you live with it every day yeah that's what i was gonna say i mean it, it's just um something that i think it really relates back to that point we said a minute ago is just how hard it is and how people generally share their success stories so like the the deal that got me property investor of the year was was insanely stressful and challenging and trying to get the utilities in and then talking about not being able to close the main road in the summer and then potentially missing out on the student season like it is um it's very easy to see what other people are doing hear what they're doing and think you're doing nothing of any significance and mm -hmm. what I would say in, in, a, in a slightly serious in, in a way is that about five or six years ago, there were a couple of people that I idolised and I'd achieved nothing. And neither of them have their portfolios. Either. Wow. Mm. And that's sad, but I think sometimes the people that are showing off or shouting the loudest aren't don't always have the substance behind it. So I think you've got to really run your own race. You're doing this for you. It's not about what anyone else is doing. And... If you're happy with what you're achieving, then that's all that, that matters and everything else anyone else is doing. I, I I get it every time I hear about a deal that someone else is doing. I'm like, oh, I'd like to do that. <laughs> yeah. Why haven't I got one of those that's going through at the moment? So, Why yeah, don't I have one of those? Yeah. yeah. And that's also part of the motivation is, oh, my God, that's what's possible. Yeah. Like, how? That's part of the throwing everything into solving a problem or figuring something out and doing it from scratch is, is amazing. Like you think about a project where you set your mind on something, you've got no idea how to achieve it. And then you piece together the rules, you read the legislation, you, you know, the rules on the square meters, you figure out how many rooms you can get in a property, the end value. And then you're like, wow, that's, that looks like it's, it's working. And I, I just think um, that there's an expression, which, uh, ben, the main owner at Star says a lot is is people rarely have as much money as you think, and I just think that people are probably not as successful as you think. Oh, it's so mm. true, especially with social media, right? Like exactly, mm. like even that holiday, that photo snap, and people think, "What an amazing view!" If you've actually sat and looked at that amazing view on holiday. You don't look at it for more than five minutes. No. It's not yeah. so special. You sit staring for like two hours and then there's that photo and you ignore the sand and the crackle in between your toes or the mosquito buying and the 20th take and the sweaty back and whatever else. And it's just like, wow, that looks amazing. I'm here and they're there. And I think you can often, it, it's rarely what you think it is. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Very, very good. And re very relatable, <laughs> very especially relatable. In our <laughs> especially in our industry, it's it's rife with the whole willy wavers, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard, okay. to right? Because you've equally got to raise your profile and get invested. Well, in these yeah, <laughs> so it's, 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 it's really stage where I'm torn. I'm like, I just don't really like it, but I think it's 
it's what's next for me is is, is doing putting energy it's profile raising yeah and i but i think but, again it's, it's kind of like it's a, there's a big difference isn't there between kind of like really sort of i don't know um almost where your ego steps in and you know you're kind of proving something the ones who shout the loudest have got the biggest point to prove and often comes from a place of insecurity right because they don't have enough but if you're just doing it and it comes from a place of integrity um where you're not just peacocking and showcasing you're actually showing your growth your impact and also a little bit of the life you've enabled for yourself then it's coming back to your values right and that's that's cool that's it. yeah as well as the pain and the the uh, trials or whatever tribulations it takes it's taking you to get there so showing the end product all nice and shiny or the the holiday with the nice uh view outside it's just like well there's also the shit you have to go through and people don't always document that but those that do are showing you the full bigger picture i think yeah 100 percent. yeah i love seeing that yeah okay well i am scrolling again stop okay oh oh god sorry i've landed on a one with a guest so i need to move on <laughs> okay uh where are we the suspension getting everyone now <laughs> what's the topic <laughs> this is okay this is one that we did episode 113 where do I invest? So this is a really uh, common question we always get asked um, when people are interested in getting into the property market or investing in HMOs and doing what we do. They're like, where do I invest? Where's the right place to buy HMOs right now? Are there any similar questions that you get asked a lot or do you hear the same question being thrown at you? Not that I can think of offhand. Um not not there's not a question that i think yeah that comes up all the time for me um but i certainly got my thoughts on that topic but yeah yeah share share remember that right so i mean first of all i'm going to say a lesson that happened from when we went through a period of expansion about seven or eight years ago and we bought property all over the country it was based off reports we thought we'd buy bnb and normally someone had missed something that was actually making it not quite as good as the agents thought or whatever and so we didn't do as well as we we thought and then I also now hear about people up north and I think about the yield you can get and how much easier it should be to to make you know a cash flowing business and actually when I see the returns they're offering on HMOs or anything I get better in east and west Sussex than most of them offer and I think you can it's better to be an expert in an area you know than it is to kind of follow the best area if it's not very easy for you to implement stuff there. Yeah. Montenegro, impossible for us to implement <laughs> stuff. So like that, that's a no-go. So if you can't, if you've not got a team in an area or not trusted network, it's probably not the right area. And I think then the flip side of that is we do some do stuff in multiple countries. We've got good partners. We understand those, those markets now. And then also it depends on the type of property. 
So an HMO, I really do want nearer me in case something happens. I've got more more of a network and, and ways of solving problems. But if it's commercial property, I, I buy commercial property at, at auction that I haven't seen. I bought one in Barnstable. I've never been to Barnstable. I'm never going to go to Barnstable. But I bought it for just over 600 grand and had 65 grand rent from Waterstones. And I could see what the business rates were and stuff like that. And it had empty uppers. So that sort of thing, you're managing Waterstones remotely, it pays its bridging costs. I'm under no financial pressure whatsoever. And at some point when I'm ready, I can chuck in an application to convert the empty uppers to two flats and and it's all upside. So I think it depends on what, what type of investment strategy you have. A development from a distance seems like a bad idea. But... Yeah. Amazing. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's really good advice, actually. I think what you've just described is something that's probably taken you years to figure out right oh, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i think the whole kind of like having commercial units <clears throat> at the base that literally service the finance from day one is something that kind of comes out in the wash over time where you realize it de-risks everything so massively it's just so brilliant best yeah cash flow how often do you see anything going wrong for that and yeah. developers the bigger the project the more they leverage like i don't think development numbers are sexy without leverage they're, they're very average in fact leverage them up and they can be great but leverage is where risk comes in, especially right. if you're not talking about cash flowing assets, or especially right. not until you've completed them, et cetera. So, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, had you bought that same property without the tenant in place already, it would be a whole different ballgame trying oh, to find. Yes. Trying to find someone to fill it, and then can you get the right rent that you're looking for? Yeah. Amazing. We've got over probably 10 million on bridging at the moment, but nearly all of it is serviced by, by the tenants, the properties that are in. There's only a couple where we're doing work on. So it sounds like a big, scary figure and it would be on the wrong type of property, but for us, it's comfortable. Yeah, yeah. love it. Yeah, it's a lovely yeah. model, that. It's great. Cool. Okay, so I think I'm going to have to do a mat and uh, bring the podcast to a close there. I think that's a pretty, a pretty good spot to end on. Yeah, but it's very grown up of you. I know, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. <laughs> I, I surprised myself. Like I said, my confidence is growing. You know. <laughs> so, uh, thank you very much, Max, for coming to join us. Um, if people want to get in contact with you or to reach out to you on social media, where's the best place for them to um, find you? So, on LinkedIn and Instagram, it's Max Scott Property. I do plan on being a little bit more active than I am now. Uh, or you can reach out directly. It's MaxScottProperty.com. Um, and it's max at maxcorporate.com. Perfect. Thank you very much. So that would be a goodbye from me. No, it was a goodbye from oh, me. Oh, damn it. I did it the wrong way around. See, I was getting too cocky. Yeah, you got too, too confident. Cocky. You were too confident then. Should we do it again? Okay, do it so again then, yeah. We'll just, we'll just mentally erase that last five seconds. Right, okay. So it's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. Nailed it. jam with us on social media where you can hear more and see more on facebook search property jam podcast or you can follow us on instagram at property jam podcast or you can email us at property jam podcast at outlook.com see, see you, you on the next, next episode, episode.